Welcome to week four of Difficult People. This is the last Sunday, last, the last message on difficult people. And what my prayer has been is that you have learned how to deal with difficult people in your life in a godly way, rather than simply, simply making a list of all the difficult people in your life. <laughs> That's really the goal. We, we've learned like all kinds of different difficult people in this series, and that the Bible actually has something to say about how we are to deal with the difficult people, meaning that we have a place, we have a plan that is a godly plan that God actually expects us to execute. We play a part in the relationships that are difficult in our lives. Say amen. Amen means I agree with that. Amen means so be it. And so uh, I'll give you a chance to think through that and say amen again. Amen. That was louder. Good. That means that we, we've digested the fact that we have a role to play. Uh, we, so this is the last uh, message in, the, in this series, and today we're going to be talking about religious people. And I'm kind of glad we saved this one for last um, but at the same time, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I kind of struggled with this one a little bit because I realized that there was some of that in me. And I think that as we are listening to this, I think we're, we're going to notice that, you know what, there's some of this in all of us. Um, the core of religiousness is self. The core of religiousness is this facade. It's this fake thing. And nobody wants to fake it. Nobody wants to see somebody else who's fake. Have you ever had somebody try to pass something off to you? that they claim to be real, but it was fake. In New York City, street vendors do this all the time. You ever been there and seen this? They, they sell you things that are supposed to be name brand, but it's like fake as a $2 bill. They, they sell Rolexes, but instead of Rolexes, they're Folexes. They sell Oakley sunglasses. Certain streets do this. And instead of Oakleys, they're Folkleys. They are as fake as anything else, and they only last till about the time you get home. <laughs> I rocked a pair of Folkleys when I was a teenager, and it was cool. I had everybody fooled until the paint started to peel off the side of the logo on the side, and I was found out. <laughs> oh, you're wearing Folkleys. Yeah, I am. I'm wearing Folkleys. Got to get another pair. 20 bucks. You can't beat it. But isn't that like our Christianity sometimes when it comes to being religious? Everything is, is, is good, but it's, it's short-term. It doesn't really last, and our true colors show. The fakeness kind of comes out whenever struggles come into our lives and our, we're faced to, to, to deal with it in a godly way, and we have no idea how because everything that we have in terms of Christianity, so-called Christianity, has to do with an outward facade rather than a real change happening on the inside. Is there a place in your life that you, maybe you feel, you know what, I'm being a little bit religious with that? Isn't it, isn't it how we take Christianity and, and we're religious? See, for religious people, Christianity is about a set of rules that I have to abide by. It's the shallow association with God. I know about God. I've heard about God. I come to church every week and hear about God. But for real Christianity, for real Christians, it's not about rules. It's not about keeping a certain list of things. It's about a relationship with God. It's about knowing God the Father because Jesus Christ sacrificed for us. And instead of running to the rules first, we're actually running to a relationship with Jesus, much like you'd run to a relationship. In fact, it's exactly like you'd run to a relationship with a person, a real person, except for this real person is actually a real person named Jesus who actually lived here, who still lives and who knows you by name and isn't primarily interested in giving you a list of rules to live by, but he's interested in a relationship with you. 
Did you know that we're all tempted to be religious? All of us, every one of us are, and we have to decide, are we going to buy the fake stuff, or are we going to delve into a real relationship with Jesus Christ? It's interesting because Jesus had to deal with religious people all the time uh, in his life here on this earth, and the Bible called them Pharisees. Say Pharisees. Maybe you've heard that term before, maybe you haven't, but Pharisees were this really smart group actually very highly educated in the Old Testament scriptures and the law that God gave. And they were extremely legalistic. They were like extremely, you know, all these rules you have to live by. And you know what? We're going to be the police officer, so to speak, to kind of make sure that you do exactly what these rules say. And, and what's interesting is that they did it in the name of God. And Jesus didn't have use for them at all. In fact, he dealt with them pretty frankly and pretty bluntly. And in Matthew 23, Jesus calls them fakes. He, he calls them straight out. You're fake. In fact, he said you're appearing to be one thing. You're appearing to be godly. But really, it's just empty religion. And he used all these different terms to talk about them. He would call them hypocrites. He called them blind guides. They were kind of appearing to be able to lead people in a godly way. But really, they were just blinded themselves. At one point, he said it's like blind people leading blind people. They, just, they both fall into the ditch. Uh, he called them vipers poisonous snakes. At one point, listen to this. I love this one. He called them whitewashed graves. It's like a, a tombstone that's been like cleaned really good and it looks really good on the outside, but on the inside it's just death. You're appearing to be one thing on the outside, cleaning up the outward appearance, but on the inside it's just like the equivalent of death. It's not life. And so when Jesus tells somebody that, you can assume that that person is not good for you. In fact, Jesus, he not only challenges the Pharisees, but he challenged everybody else around them to stay away from people like that because they were leading people in the wrong way. In fact, Luke 12, verse 1, he said this, be on guard. He's talking to all the rest of everybody else. Be on guard. That means make a conscious decision with your mind. The Greek word guard there. Actually, use your brain. Be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. What's he talking about there? You know, in the Scriptures, in the Bible, Yeast was commonly referred to when he was talking about evil. Well, what does yeast do? It's made in bread. It takes just a little bit of it, right, and it affects the whole batch. And what he's saying is, is just a little bit of Phariseeism, just a little bit of, of toxic religion in your life, it can ruin the whole batch. It can mess up the relationships in your life, your marriage. It can mess up your friendships. It can mess up your attitude. He says you've got to be aware and be on guard about this Phariseeism, about religion in your own life. And it's sad to say, but over 2,000 years later, Phariseeism is alive and well today. Religion is alive and well today in the church. And in fact, I believe there's a little bit of it in all of us that God would, would challenge us. And so what I want to do today is I want to identify uh, just a couple of things that um, that uh, traits of religious people, and then I want to look at how we're supposed to deal with religious people. So I kind of want you to be on a teeter-totter. I want you to listen for things that may be happening in your own life, and then I also want you to listen for things that may be happening in somebody that you know, and, and you kind of have to deal with it. it. It may be both of those. So I want us to lean in. This is going to be a little challenging, and, and maybe a little bit, you know, hey, Pastor Ryan, that hurts a little bit, but I want you to know that anything I tell you is not going to be just my opinion. It's going to be based in the Word of God. And I want you to know that whatever I tell you, I'm, I'm doing it in love. And I do that because I genuinely do love you. But I also do it because I'm humbled because I'm preaching to myself too. 
So let's just say amen together and, and just go together and know that God wants to change all of us in the room. Say amen. All right, you ready? The, the first toxic religious trait uh, illustrated in the lives of the Pharisees was this, is they were very legalistic. They were legalistic. You want to spot a Pharisee? You want to spy somebody being legalistic? Well, it's when people are concerned more with rules than they are relationships. They're, they're more concerned with observing rituals than helping people's needs. Uh, legalism is, is when you, you try to earn your way to heaven, which you can't do, and we all know we can't, but boy, do we try, don't we? Legalism says that God only smiles on you when you're keeping certain restrictions. People that are legalistic say, you know what, it's not so much about the relationship. That will come when we observe the rules correctly. And when we do it together correctly, then the relationship will be a byproduct. The problem is Jesus never said that. I love the fact whenever Jesus came to this earth and just completely bypassed all the rules that the Pharisees were trying to keep so good, but yet they never could perfectly. By the way, God's standard is perfect. So if you've missed one, you've missed all of them. And he just walks right up to people. He didn't give them a list of rules. He didn't give them a list of commandments to live by. He understood those things would happen naturally when the relationship was right. Legalistic people can't get that. They're more concerned about the rituals. They're more concerned about you doing the right thing at the right time, the rules, than they are about the relationship. Jesus was the complete opposite. Legalistic people, they, they love to make policies and procedures and rules. And if you have some area of your life that doesn't happen to have a rule in it, boy, they will make one for you. The, the difference in legalistic people and Christians is this. Religious, legalistic people have an association with God through rules. But Christians know God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? It really comes down in life to are you going to live by rules or are you going to live by a relationship? I heard a story of an older couple recently who, when they got married, uh, they were newlyweds, of course, and they didn't know each other very well. And so they had lots of rules, like how to fold towels. Uh, the husband said, I realized very quickly that I didn't fold towels the right way. And she let me know pretty quickly that, that it was wrong. I, I didn't even know there was a right way and a wrong way to fold towels. But evidently, there is. They had rules about where you should push the toothpaste in the, in the tube. You know, it, evidently, you don't do it in the middle. Uh, which way the toilet paper is supposed to go. And, you know, these are little small rules, and there were a whole lot more because they didn't know each other very well. Well, now they've been married over 40 years. And he said, we don't really don't have any rules anymore. The only rule we really have is you always have to tell the truth. So here's the point. The greater the relationship, the fewer rules that you need. Because the greater the relationship, the greater trust that you have. And a relationship is about trust. And when you have trust, you don't have to go out of your way to create all these rules and regulations and policies to keep people from getting out of line. Trust is a byproduct of a real relationship. Legalism is always about the rules first, not about the relationship. So how, how do you spot a religious, legalistic person? Here's something else. A, a, a religious person is always getting offended. They get offended by everything. Uh, they've got their rules, and, and they have their rules, and you're supposed to obey them, and they try to obey them. And, and you know, if somebody else doesn't measure up to the rules, they're going to let you know that you're not measuring up. They'll, they'll let you know quick. You say the wrong thing. They're easily disappointed. They're easily shocked. Uh, people that are legalistic, they just get offended all the time, and they live in a state of being upset. And Jesus was talking to one of these Pharisees at one point in uh, Luke chapter 11, they were getting ready to eat, and Jesus didn't wash his hands, which was uh, kind of a, a rule, a, a ceremonial rule. 
And it says this in verse 38, the Pharisee was shocked and somewhat offended when he saw that Jesus didn't wash up for meals. So it's a rule. As far as the rules went, that that was a, a big offense. He didn't wash his hands. But this guy was more interested in the rule than understanding that the very Son of God was right in front of him. Than understanding that there was a soul right in front of him. He, he was more concerned with, you know what, you didn't wash your hands before the meal. And so Jesus, he was always offending legalists because they couldn't control him. They couldn't manage him with rules. And I just want you to know that, that guys, life is not about rules and regulations. Jesus didn't die for rules and regulations. He died for relationships. The first one was between you and him. And the second was between you and everybody else. We go vertical with God first, and then we go horizontal with each other. Those are relationships that Jesus died for. It's the one thing that will outlast this earth. And he didn't play by all the rules and regulations, and they didn't like it. Now, I just need to clarify, it's important to have rules. Please don't go home and say, well, the rules are off the table. I'm not washing my hands for meals anymore, and we're turning the toilet paper any way I want. That's, that's not what I'm saying. It's important to have rules in life, but when, when rules take precedent over people and relationships, you become religious. Secondly, religious people are nitpickers. It's different than nose pickers, unless you're a nitpicking nose picker. <laughs> religious people are, are nitpickers. They, they get into the details and they live there. And they, they can't help it. They just they nitpick around all the little things that are wrong. Uh, there was a movie that came out years ago. It was an animated movie for kids about dinosaurs. And these scientists got really upset. And they were like, you know, they, this is giving kids the wrong impression because this shows dinosaurs with lemurs. And lemurs didn't evolve for another million years, right? This is, this is scientists talking. And they said the kids are going to get the wrong impression about dinosaurs. And uh, Jay Leno, the comedian, was commenting on it, and he said, well, let's, let's forget the fact that the dinosaurs are singing and dancing. <laughs> just religious, just nitpicky. People, they always love to find fault, and they'll find fault in anything. They'll miss the forest for the trees. Uh, there are religious people out there that are always pointing out what you do wrong. You can get 96% of it right, and they'll, they'll take the 4% that you got wrong and make sure that you know about it. Nitpickers. Picky, 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 always trying to get at you. Uh, a friend of mine grew up in a church where it was like this, and it was like everything everybody did was wrong. They just wanted to point out the sin of the week. That was all they did. And he said, I felt like if I was smiling, they were looking at me like I was up to something. I mean, it was just like illegal to be happy or something. But, but just nitpicky. They're, they're always critical of actions. Nitpickers are always critical, particularly of words. They, they want to take your words, and they want to twist them. And the Bible says the Pharisees did this. In fact, if you look through the Gospels, which is the first four books of the New Testament, the, the life of Jesus, you're going to find this sentence multiple times. Here's one in Matthew 22:15. It says, the Pharisees went out and made plans to trap him in his words. They were nitpickers. They, they weren't trying to look at the life of Jesus and what he was trying to accomplish and the miracles and the love. They, they were trying to trap him in a, a, a nitpicky way, his words. And nitpickers are like, well, you said this. Well, I didn't mean that. Well, you said it, and that's what matters. This, these are the words you used, and it doesn't matter what you mean. This is what you said. They're always trying to trap you in this judgmental kind of way. Jesus never put up with it. He never put up with, with nitpickers. In Matthew 12, he said to the Pharisees, uh, who were very toxic religious people, in verse 6, he said, if you had any idea what this scripture means, and then he, he quotes God in the Old Testament, where God says, I prefer a flexible heart to an inflexible ritual. 
He's like, if you had any idea what that means, that God cares more about what's on the inside of you than what you may be doing on the outside at any given moment. If you had any idea what that scripture means, you wouldn't be nitpicking like this. But they couldn't get it. Religious people tend to be nitpickers, and they they tend to be kind of all-or-nothing thinkers. There's no progression in the middle. There's no gray area. It's either all, you're either good or you're bad. You're either all good or you're all bad. No room for grace. And Jesus looked at him a few chapters later in chapter 23 and said this, verse 24. He said, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. <laughs> this was Hebrew humor, which re- relied heavily upon exaggeration, right? And he said, it's like this, you're making this huge deal out of this one little tiny fault. All the while, you're missing the best parts of somebody. He said, it's like you're, you're straining so hard to get this little gnat out of your water cup, even though if you drank it, it probably, drank it, it probably wouldn't even hurt you at all. All the while, you're swallowing a camel, which would kill you, right? You're focusing so much on the small outward fault. And you're completely nitpicking to the point where you can't even see somebody's heart. You, you can't even see the best part of somebody. Nitpicking. You know anybody like that? You, you know anybody who's so legalistic that they're, they're so worried about the rules that they miss the relationship that they want to have with you? you? You ever know anybody who's so nitpicky that they're focused on people's faults? You never hear them say anything good about anybody. That they, they can't even get to the relationship. And, and you notice that relationships, they, they, religion is toxic to relationships. That's, that's the whole point of this. Being legalistic, being, being a nitpicker, being religious kills relationships. And that's the one thing that Jesus came to die for, is relationships. So how, how do I handle people in my life like this? And I just want to be vulnerable and say, is, is, are, are, are any of that, is any of that in your life? Is any of that going on with you? Any of it? It's, it's hard sometimes, but I think one of the best gifts we can give ourselves is self-awareness. To say, you know what? Between me and God and, and maybe somebody in your life who you can be accountable to, I need help in this area. I think the, the, the first step in going forward in anything is recognizing that there's a problem. Jesus died for relationships. So if there's something in your life that's killing the opportunity for a relationship to grow, it's religion. And God says you need to check it because I didn't come for that. I came to give you life for the purpose of a relationship with me and for one another. So how, how do I handle religious people in my life? How do I handle legalistic people? How do I handle nitpickers in my life? Let's, let's talk about it. There's three things. Um, but the first thing is this. You, you have to realize that it's not about you. And I think that's hard sometimes because when people get offended easily, sometimes we just want to run to them and fix the problem. We want to clarify. You know, I... I didn't mean that. We want to kind of go overboard to win their approval because some of the relationships are close to us. Some of them are family, and, and some of them are friends or, or coworkers that are close. But the, the first thing you need to realize about religious people is that it's not about you. When somebody is, is being religious, they're going to try to take it out on you. Uh, but it's not about you. It's about them. And the reason is because they are living their lives trying to be worthy of God by keeping rules. That's what's, boil it all down, that's what they're doing. And they can't do it, and so they don't feel good about themselves way down deep. And so you can't feel good about yourself either because I have to judge you by the same standard I judge me or it's not fair. And the fact is is that they've missed the mark completely, and they take it out on you. But you just got to remember, it's not about you. It's, it's about them. So the question then becomes is should I try to live at peace with them? Well, 
you should try to. In fact, Romans 12, 13 says this, if it is possible, say if it's possible, say it again, if it's possible, did he say it is possible? He said if, if it is possible, next word, next phrase, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I think those, the, that word and that phrase are two great qualifiers that we need to understand. If and as far as it depends on you. Because there are some people that no matter how good you are to them, they are going to put a wedge between you and them. Some people, it doesn't matter how much good you do for them or how much you try to clarify things, there's always going to be this religious toxin that comes in between you. And it has to do with their own dysfunction, not yours. It has to do with maybe a past hurt or, or a pain or their lack of a relationship with Jesus Christ in some area of their life. And so they're putting standards on themselves that's too heavy for them to live by. And so they're never going to live by it and to, up to it. And so you're not going to live up to it either. That's what's happening way down deep. And so when you have somebody in your life that's, that's being religious and overly legalistic and overly nitpicking, then you have to realize that, you know what, it's not about you. And, and I love the Bible because the Bible always tells the truth about stuff like this. I mean, like, it never glosses over stuff. Uh, David, it said he was a man after God's own heart. But it also tells the truth and says that he committed adultery and killed the, guy's, uh, killed the, the woman's husband in order to get her. <laughs> I mean, it's, it tells the truth about stuff, and, and the Bible points out very clearly and truthfully that it's not always possible to live at peace with people. If you can, as far as it depends on you, try to live at peace with everybody. And there are some people that, you know what, you're not going to get along with. Some people you will. But you have to understand that it's not about you, and sometimes you're not able to live at peace with them. And you just need to understand you can't control them. You didn't create the problem. And you're not going to change the, the person. And you're certainly not responsible to change the person. You know who you're responsible to change? You. They'll change when they get ready. And until then, they're not going to change. So you've got to realize it's not about you. And this, the second one kind of leans into that one. And this is a tough one. But if it's possible, disconnect and let them go. When a legalistic, nitpicking, religious, toxic person like that comes into your life, let them go if it's possible. Now, understand, I'm not talking about marriage, okay? Whenever you marry somebody, you say, I'm committing to you until death. That, that's what you're saying. And so I'm not talking about marriage. But there are people in your life who are causing harm and who are causing damage that you haven't made a commitment to like that. And you can let them go. You can withdraw. It's a simple solution. Jesus Christ, the, the perfect person that ever walked this earth, the most perfect person who was perfect, um, what did he do? Well, Matthew 12, verse 14 says, The Pharisees went out, and they plotted how they might kill Jesus. You call that religion? Call that toxic? Yeah. What did Jesus do? It says, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Duh. <laughs> you know, they're going to try to harm him. Jesus doesn't go there. It's not rocket science, right? You just don't show up where they are. Just don't go. It's real simple. Jesus said, there's toxic people. They're, they're religious. They're trying to wrong me, and so I'm not going to go. I'm not going to be around them. Um, you pull back. You disconnect with somebody like that. And I know sometimes it's hard because you've built a relationship, and you have a, a history with this person, and maybe it just needs to be a clear ultimatum. I love you, but as long as you're going to guilt me like this, as long as you're going to nitpick me like this, as long as you're going to be legalistic and try to hold me to a standard that you yourself know down deep you can't even hold yourself to, then I'm sorry, we're just not going to be able to hang out in life. I'll see you around, I'll wave to you, but it's not going to go any deeper than this. You got it? 
I mean, sometimes you just have to do that. And, and sometimes you got to let people go. Let me, let me tell you a, a, a soft truth. There are certain people that are not meant to be in your life forever. There are people that will leave your life at certain seasons that aren't meant to go into the next season of your life. And there are people that God is going to bring into your life that you can't do the next season without them. And sometimes we have to get good at letting people go because they're holding us back from what God wants us to do going into the next season. And you just got to understand, sometimes you got to let people go. As your life progresses, you're going to lose people. And as your life progresses, you're going to gain people. And really, if you look back over the history of your life, you can see that that's true. I, growing up, I have right now one close friend, one, that's just as close as we were back then, one. Out of all the people that I've met, out of all the people that I've done life with, I got one person outside my close, tight-knit family that's, that's still with me after all these years. One. And there have been so many that have come and gone. There's been people I thought that would never leave my life. And when they did, it hurt so bad. But you know what? I begin to realize that they are not meant to be in my life going into the next season that I'm going into. But every season that I walked into with God leading the way, he always brought the people in that were necessary for my success going forward. And God will do the same for you. So when there's people that are, that are harming the relationship and they're pulling at you in an unhealthy way, don't be, a, don't be scared to let them go. It's actually unhealthy for you to stay in a toxic relationship and let them drain you to the point that you're incapable of doing God's will for your life. Who is it in your life? Now, I'm not talking about marriage, but who is it in your life that you need to stop trying to win their approval? Who, who is it in your life that you need to let walk? Did you know that it's not healthy for you to chase people that leave you? But it's more I'm not talking about marriage, but it's more healthy to actually value the people that are actually pouring into you in a healthy way than it is to chase the people that aren't meant to be in your life anyway. If you haven't gotten their approval by now, chances are you're not going to get it. And the fact is, is that you don't need their approval. Because if your happiness is dependent upon a person's approval, then they're the ones that are running your life. And the Bible calls that an idol. And you know what God says? Don't have an idol before me. Because I'm the one that made you, and I'm the one that's supposed to be running your life. So don't try to live for the approval of people. If they're supposed to be in your life, they'll be in your life. If they're not, then they'll walk. And God bless them. You just got to let them go. Sometimes we, we tend to feel like we need their approval uh, because we have offended them, and we want to try to you know, get the relationship back because we feel bad. Some people with big hearts and big feelings and emotions, they, just, they can't stand for people to be mad at them, even if they didn't do anything wrong. And I just want to tell you, Jesus, he'd been speaking to a crowd uh, about some very tough things, much like I'm talking to you now, uh, maybe even tougher. And in Matthew 15, verse 12, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you said? I love what Jesus said. Ignore them. <laughs> Ignore them. They're blind guides leading the blind. And that's the kind of God that I serve. That's the Jesus that I serve. And he's the greatest example. And he says, you know what? There are some people in your life that you're just not going to be able to please. Some people are, are like that. And you just have to ignore them. Get on with your life. They're, they're going to have another thing that they're offended about next. It's not you. Just wait. You'll, you'll see. They're, they're offended at you now, but let them go to the next person, and they'll be offended at something else. Nothing you do is going to change that. So what do you do with religious people in your life, legalistic, nitpicky people? Well, you got to realize that it's not about you, and you got to, if possible, let them go. 
And I just need to tell you real quick, you know, sometimes God will put people in your life that you're supposed to influence, some people that you're supposed to lead up. But you got to be really discerning about when it's time to let them go because there, there is a season for that, you see. And it's like someone that goes and saves somebody in the water, and they're trying to save somebody who's drowning. Well, they can save them. They can help them. But the moment that that person begins to drag both of them down into the water, it's time to let go. And there are people in your life that, you know what, there was a season where you're supposed to be helping them. You're supposed to be there. And maybe they're religious. Maybe they're nitpicking. Maybe they're just down and out. I don't know. But they're drawing from you. They're taking from you. And there is a season sometimes where God will put people that aren't as far along as you in your life so that your godly influence can shine through you to them and plant seeds or maybe water seeds that are already there, water uh, seeds that maybe somebody else planted in a, in a previous season. But there's going to come a time where you have to be discerning when it's time to let that person go and when it's time for God to bring that person into somebody else's life for the next season. You have to be discerning whenever God puts people in your life like that. Here's the last one. It's, it's the most important. When you're thinking about religious people in your life and you're thinking about your involvement, is you have to understand you don't live for them, but you live for an audience of one person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus, often he would say, when, when people would say things to him, he would say, you know, I, I don't live about for what other people think of me. But I live to please the Father who's in heaven, and that's it. And I do what he tells me to do, and I'm in him, and he's in me. If you're living for an audience of one, you know what you're saying? You're saying, I'm only going to worry about what God wants me to do. And he's going to be the one that's running my life. And, and if you're only worried about what pleases God, and every time you have to make a decision about something, you're filtering it through. Is God going to be pleased with this? Is this going to grow me in him? Then you know what? You'll always be doing the right thing instead of trying to win the approval of 15 or, or, or 20 people. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, Paul told the church, he said, we're not trying to please people. <laughs> we're trying to please God. Have you ever been a people pleaser? Isn't that hard? Because you can't please everybody all the time. If you get more than three people in a room, you're more than likely going to have at least two different opinions about something. And he said, you know, we're not trying to please people. But we're trying to please God. In fact, Paul said in another area of Scripture, he said, you know, if, if, if you, Christians, brothers and sisters, if there's things on this that you don't agree on, then seek God, and he'll make it clear to you. And that has the assumption with it that as Christians, we're living for the approval of God and not each other. And as long as we're all living for the approval of God, it's amazing the unity that we have in and through the relationship with Jesus Christ. He said we're living for an audience of one, not for many. And when you do that, you're going to find great relief from trying to please everybody else. He says, you know what, we're living for God who knows our hearts. Why would you try to live for somebody else that doesn't know the deepest parts of you? Why, why would you try to live for the approval of somebody that can see some things on the outside that they can find fault with, but they don't know the inside of you. They don't know the real you, but there's a God who does. And he says, live for me. Those relationships, the people that are sometimes even the closest to you, they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna do things that hurt you sometimes. But you know what? You don't have to live for their approval primarily. You gotta love them. But you're not going to have what it takes even to love them the right way until you live for that audience of one and get filled up with the relationship that you have in and through Jesus Christ and God and his word. We're not called to be religious, guys and gals. We're called to be in a relationship with Jesus. And, and my deepest prayer as your pastor, I pray this all the time. Sometimes in the middle of the week, I walk through these 
these chairs empty. And I just pray, God, wherever these people are, whatever name is associated with this chair, whatever soul is associated with this chair, let them see you now. But it, far be it from us to think the, the, the relationship with you is met primarily in this room. So I just pray for you all the time. God, Holy Spirit, convict them now. Show them now. Draw them in right now wherever they are. Because we're not called to be religious. We're called to be in a relationship. And I don't know any relationship that thrives on an hour a week. Do you? The best relationships are one that are in constant communication with each other, loving each other, pouring out and being poured into. And Jesus died for you so that you could have that with him 24 hours a day. You can wake up in the middle of the night and and feel scared and, and know that he's right there ready to listen to you. He didn't come for religion. He came for a relationship with you. Not one time did Jesus ever give a bunch of rules and say, hey, do this. You know what he would do? He'd walk up to people and say, follow me. One guy particularly, he walked up, his name was Levi. He walked right up to him in the middle of his sin and just said, follow me. It shocked everybody because Jesus was a teacher. He was a rabbi. And what that meant was he had some people around him that were going to live and be like him. And the other rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, they were getting the best of the best students. Jesus was going around getting tax collectors and fishermen and blue-collar people. And it shocked everybody. He just came and broke the mold. He never asked anybody to convert to a religion. Not once. He invited people into a relationship with him, saying the kingdom of God is here. Even his followers, they they, they never asked anyone to become Christians. You know what they did? They lived like Jesus lived. And they were ready to answer questions when people asked them about why it is they were doing what they were doing. And they just invited other people to know him too. In fact, if you read through the New Testament through the letters that Paul wrote into the churches, the problems came when people tried to enforce religious things on people. Rules and and regulations. That's when the problems came. Religion is the exact opposite of what Jesus came to give. And you have a choice today. Religion or a relationship. And Jesus only offers one. Instead of offering legalism, Jesus says you're free from the law. That's what the book of Galatians says. Instead of offering guilt trips on you and nitpicking you, he says, now there is now no condemnation in Christ. He says, you're complete in and through Christ Jesus. He says, I know your heart. I know what's going on on the inside of you. And I still love you completely. You're worth dying for. I love you infinitely. I love you so much. And that's how I show you that you're worth it. He's not ridiculing you. He's saying you have infinite value. Are you hearing me today? The God of the universe. I love the song earlier. It said Jesus is in this room. He's not some far off God. He's, He's here. And he wants you to hear him. He wants you to hear him say the good, the bad, the ugly. I just love you. And yes, there are things that that you're going to do. I I promise you, there are things that God will will shape you with. But you know what? That doesn't come before the relationship. It's amazing how all the rules tend to work themselves out. All the the things that, that God wants to do in you for your good is a byproduct of the growing relationship that he wants to have in you. All the things that we're trying to accomplish with religion, we'd be so restful and so peaceful when we finally begin to realize that that we can have a relationship that Jesus died to give us before religion was even a thing. And that's the choice you have. You can have the burden of religion. You can have the life-giving promise of a relationship that Jesus offers. 
And I'm here just to ask you the question, which one is it going to be? I'm going to pray, and as I do, I'm going to ask you that question. And maybe for some of you, you've got areas right now in your life that you're like, you know what, I know I'm being religious. And I, I want the relationship in that area of my life. I want to invite God in. You can't have a relationship with a certain subject until you invite the other person in to be a part of it with you. You got that? So, yes, I'm being religious in a certain part of my life. Maybe you would say that, and you just have to invite God into that part. I want the relationship to be here, not religion. What is that for you? Maybe for some of you, your whole life is, is kind of wrapped up in religious activity. It's this outer appearance of something good, but you know, you know good and well there is nothing changing on the inside of you. Because when the hard times come, you react the same. You're still dealing with the same problems you were. You're still, you're still, you still flip as a, just like a light switch when something goes wrong. You're, you're dealing with the same stuff the same way you used to. But the outward appearance is there, and that's religion. And Jesus says right now, I want you to, I want you to have a relationship with me. For some of you, you've never accepted Jesus. And maybe you're ready to cross that line of faith today and say, Jesus, I, I believe in you and I want to start that relationship. Those are the questions I'm going to ask as we pray. And I just want you to be honest with yourself. Jesus is in this room. You don't have to be honest with me. You got to be honest with the one that knows you already. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the opportunity at a relationship. I could sit here today and embarrass myself pretty bad talking about all the things I've done or the things that I struggle with. Religion never fixed any of that. In fact, it just made it more difficult for me. But when I put you in the place of religion and have a relationship with you, I feel so much grace and hope. And it's a progression that we walk together. And I pray that same thing on the people that are right here under the sound of my voice, maybe listening online right now. And they would say, I'm, I'm done with religion in this particular area. Some of you have identified it. Just kind of in your mind and in your heart, just name that thing right now. Jesus, come into that area of my life and help me. I believe that you're not condemning me. <laughs> I believe that you're not ridiculing me or you're not looking at me, rolling your eyes. Oh, it's you again with this same problem. But you're looking at me because you gave your all. And you're looking at me with the most grace. The word says that your love for me is higher than the heavens. Scientists can't even calculate how high that is. And your love is higher than that. Your word says where sin abounds, where religion abounds, grace is greater. So I just invite you into that place. Can you do that right now, wherever that is for you? And believe the fact that Jesus does love you and wants a relationship with you right there. Change us, God. Help us. Give us strength in Jesus' name by the power of your Holy Spirit who has the ability and the willingness to help us in our time of need as we come before you at a time like this. Lord, for, for those who have been living religiously maybe their whole lives or, or at least recently, and there's nothing changing on the inside. It's just all outward appearances. Lord, I, I love how you had the ability to look at a crowd when they were the biggest and draw the line and really call people out. And I, I love the fact that it's, it's with that same demand that you're calling us today and saying, I didn't come for religion, I came for a relationship. And you have a choice right now of which one you're going to choose. And so my, as your pastor, my challenge to you is to be bold and say yes to the relationship that Jesus is offering you right now, that he died to offer you and give you. Change me, God. 
don't allow me to walk this, this life in my job and, and be different in my relationships and be different in the mall and be different in my workplace, be different in my family than I am right here. I, I want to be the same, and I want that sameness, that unity to be your word inside of me. I want, I want it to be evident that there is actually something changing on the inside of me. So I say yes to you, Jesus. Change me any way you want. Maybe you're here and you've, you've never said yes to Jesus and he's not the Lord of your life. And honestly, you know, we don't live for this life alone, but we know there's an eternity coming. And maybe you would say, if something tragically were to happen to me today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. And that's a real question that a lot of people ask is what's happening after this life is over. And if, if, if there's doubt in your heart about where you'd spend eternity, I need you to understand that same relationship that Jesus offers you is what guarantees your eternity in heaven if you'll make Jesus Lord of your life. The Bible says one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But blessed are the ones who do it now, voluntarily, and make him the Lord of their lives. And I wonder if that's you today, if you just say yes to Jesus Christ. And just maybe kind of, I'm going to say this, this prayer, I wonder if you'd say this with me out loud in your heart, it doesn't matter. He hears you. God, I need you. And I'm not a perfect person. And your standard is perfection. So there's nothing I can do on this earth to win the worthiness of you, to earn it. I can't. But I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, became a man, and lived perfectly. And it wasn't just that, but he, he actually died in my place. My sin demanded death. That's what Romans says. The cost of sin, the cost of my sin is death. Not just a physical one, but an eternal death, a spiritual death. But Jesus died that death for me, that I wouldn't have to do it. And he, he rose again from the grave. He's alive today, and I, I believe that. So I make him the Lord of my life. I, I, I cast my, my worthiness onto him. And I want to live for you. I don't just want you to be Savior. I want you to be Lord. So I give you the authority of my life. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Can we say amen together? Can we just give it up for everybody that said yes to Jesus? Maybe for the first time today. I'm so glad that you did that. Let me make a challenge for you. If you have said yes to Jesus for the first time, would you just take a connect card in front of you and check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ? Let me tell you why I want you to do that. Because I know Satan, I know his tactics. He wants to isolate you. And when he isolates you, he'll make you believe that what you did didn't make a difference and you're still the same and there's really nothing, nothing different about you. And that's why God made the church for us to surround each other, to pray for each other, and to care for each other. And we want to do that for you. So would you let us know? And just put it on a connect card. As you walk out, you can just put it in the, in the, uh, in the usher's basket there. Just put your name and some contact information. We're going to be praying for you. And I want you to know that there are some next steps that, that we want you to take. Um, there's good next steps that you can take to make sure that this, this walk with Jesus, this journey in this life with him is maxed out. We want to do that for you as a church. There's some free resources that we want to put in your hand. Guys, I love you so much, and I, I want us to make this claim in this declaration today that we're going to walk out of here, and we're going to be truthful with ourselves, and we're going to let Jesus change the religious parts of us so that it more resembles a relationship with him than it does empty religion. Can we do that? We're starting a new series next week called Niche. We're going to be talking about how we're going to find our place in the kingdom of God, to find our niche, to find our purpose. And you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be good. Have a great Sunday. I'll talk with you next week.